0: Wakey-wakey. Eggs and
1: bakey. It's time for an unbalanced breakfast with Matt and Catherine, a.k.a. Smart. Hamburger, the cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast. My boss says he can eat 50 eggs, he can eat 50 eggs. Do you like apples? I don't drink too, bitch! How about you, Sadburns? You want some of this milk? Plus this highly nutritious microwave macaroni and cheese dinner that people who sold it on sale. Amen. They've got the hottest takes on the hottest stories and trends in food, nutrition, and fitness. Come on! Bread makes you fat? Bread makes you fat? I haven't had a carb since 2004. Calories, that's a gluten. Fat, that's a gluten.
0: Yeah, it's got electrolytes.
2: Filled protein combined with synthetic aminos, vitamins, and minerals. Everything the body needs.
3: I'm only eating foods with less than 30% calories from fat. It's 40%. He read the squirrels were high in cholesterol.
1: We're about to find out what happens when a policy student and a science student interact.
2: And I also brought you some hydroponically grown goji berries with vegan barbecue sauce and some organic pumpkin chips. Short answer, being vegan just makes you better than most people. I happen to be a vegetarian.
0: You must have had vegetables fresher than that growing up on a farm, Greg. Never trust a vegetarian. Looks like
2: meat back on the menu!
1: The views and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of WMFO, Tufts University, or the Friedman School of Nutrition. Yes. Who's yes. <laughs> hungry?
2: And the people did
0: feast upon the lambs and sloth and carp and antebells and orangutans and breakfast cereals and fruit bats. <laughs>
1: And welcome to an unbalanced breakfast here on WMFO Medford 91.5 FM, streaming live on WMFO.org. And we are back after a uh, unfortunate morning. week off. Yes. And Catherine is back in studio as mm-hmm. well. Good morning. How are you?
3: I'm great. Finals have completed.
1: Finals are done. Congratulations yeah. to everybody from Tulsa. Yeah, everybody's graduating. Who's
3: finished finals. That was a good moment. Yep. For most people, field (laughs) field day Um, yesterday—if you were there—was a good time. Field
1: day, and yeah, it's a good moment as long as you're not uh, stressfully awaiting final grades to see if you can um, actually walk next a week from tomorrow. Oh
3: yeah, which some people maybe do. That's me.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So last week we were uh, supposed to have Barbara Moran in as our guest. Unfortunately, that will have to be postponed. Um, Hopefully, we can make that for you this week, though. With Marion She should be uh, in. On the phone, at least not for the middle part of the show. Yeah. So it's very exciting. People looking forward to that. Yeah, very exciting. Um, and you know what? Still going to touch on a couple of topics that I uh, wanted to get to last week. But before I do, the phone number here is 617-627-3800 if you'd like to call in. Mm-hmm. You can hit us up on Twitter at... Uh, sorry, which one are you using? These I'm things? at
3: Nutrition Wonk. At Nutrition Wonk yeah. or at
1: Boxman37. Um, all right, so we're going to open up with Catherine's favorite topic which is sports
3: i love sports mm-hmm. i love all of them
1: yes um and specifically we're going to talk about even though it's typically i hate talking about the sport and is the off season but we're going to talk about football um and sp- I'm only
3: like, what what's the thing that you don't like which thing
1: <laughs> that one thing um but we're going to talk about another thing i don't like and that is tom brady <laughs> Um, oh, man. and it is actually very topical. It's going to so be
3: I, so hard for you living in a way You know in. what?
1: We're not going to talk about any deflated footballs, even though they did it and are guilty. We're just oh going to move gosh, on. I We're not going to touch that. Yeah. Um,
3: I can't even, I can't reflect on that. Cause I don't know. I was like, how is that against rules? I don't even know. Uh,
1: what are the it's rules a long, long story again. We won't get into it, but yeah. Uh, yeah, you did it as another radio host here says, um, So Tom Brady, this actually is very related to nutrition and, uh, very timely. You may have heard on the news that Tom Brady has, don't call it a cookbook, it's a nutrition manual coming out, um, over a hundred pages of nonsense, uh, including it's like bound, like has a wooden back, front and back covers and all this. Oh, I'm sure the designs, yeah, cool. (laughs) Um, it's already sold out the first pub, the first printing, so you can still pre-order, I think, not that I'd recommend it, uh and you have to wait a few months um, you know be just like Tom Brady and are this, the
3: letters like burned into the cover yeah like it's, oh yeah. they really are yeah. and you can okay. take
1: it apart and you can they'll publish updates or whatever and you can add recipes as they come out And
3: what it's, it's, I, okay I'm not gonna lie that's a cool idea
1: the the functionality of the object itself I will give you yes is, um,
3: excellent job cookbook designers
1: um, so yeah but here's so here's the thing and, we're, and this we may touch on a little bit of this too um, with marry and nestle about some of, like, non-nutrition people and big famous celebrities and what they endorse and what they say about products like Coca-Cola yeah. and uh, how that impacts people trying to get out legitimate nutrition information. But anyway, so let's get to it. So this cookbook, and it basically reiterates um, a lot of stuff that came out a couple of years ago when he was interviewed about his diet and all this stuff, and yeah. there was a whole big brouhaha. But anyway... So to recap, so because first of all, this th-
3: diet is very specific, is right? I think I saw it a while ago, but it's sort of like one of those like elimination diets, right? Where he, there are a yeah, lot of things. It's an inflama-
1: anti-inflammation eat. diet. So but so
3: many diets say they are. So it's what kind of anti-inflammation so, Right,
1: exactly. Diet? Well, here's the thing. So I have to actually give credit to a couple of media outlets around here, like Boston Magazine okay. had a headline um, about 10 days ago. Uh, that says Tom Brady's two hundred dollar cookbook is one big farce.
3: It's two hundred dollars. Two hundred
1: dollars. That was the other thing yeah, I didn't mention.
3: Oh my goodness! So um,
1: you know, just some pocket change for this. Um. So.
3: <laughs> Whoa.
1: And as they call it, so Brady has taken. This is from the from their article. Brady has taken another step in his apparent quest to become America's health czar, offering an already sold out two hundred dollar nutrition manual in quotes on his website. Uh, you know.
3: Okay. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say, what's kind of interesting about this is, I think I've... So, I've heard of his diet, and I think it's one of those things where you can't eat a ton of different foods, and it doesn't really make a lot of logical sense.
1: You can't eat tomatoes, you can't eat fruit, you can't eat eggplants, mushrooms, or peppers.
3: Oh, this sounds like a paleo diet.
1: It's not paleo. It's just it's like, like a here's vegetarian. a bunch of healthy foods you shouldn't eat because... But it, it's so, they
3: don't eat nightshades or whatever. It sounds like night, one of the Nightshades Haltrow's is one of diet. things, yep. Yeah. So, it's not really based in reality.
1: It, well, what it is based on. So, he was uh, recently interviewed for GQ, which, I may be wrong about this. I think believe it was GQ. Could have been Esquire, another one of those magazines. Where a little while ago, he basically commissioned them to come to his house and take a bunch of photos of him in fancy clothes, literally running around and jumping in leaves and stuff. So Aww. this is what you need to know about Tom Brady. He's a real cool guy. Um, so
3: I think that's cool. He
1: Tom. talks about when uh,
3: he's listening <laughs> clearly.
1: <laughs> well, I know. Rem- um, so a lot of his the stuff that he ascribes to is courtesy of his trainer Alex Guerrero. Have you heard of him at all in his background? So he is, again, this is uh, another article from, another headline from Boston Magazine, pointed out that he is a glorified snake oil salesman. This is a guy who advertised a uh, supplement called Supreme Greens, which could supposedly cure cancer and AIDS and other diseases.
0: Oh, yikes.
1: He has tried to pass himself off as a doctor before, which he is not. He claims that he had developed a drink that could prevent concussions. Um, so this is a guy that's informing this two hundred dollar nutrition. Oh, wow, room.
3: yeah, that's that's um,
1: sketchy. And he there is a quote, or Tom Brady was telling GQ that um, basically he he was sitting there working out and is talking to his boy Alex Guerrero, um, saying when he's done playing he wants to be able to pass on all this information about how to work out, what to eat, uh, what not to do, and all this other stuff. So it's coming from a guy who you should not be listening to right, at all.
3: Not a great source of information. Right,
1: um, they in he was in 2014 he did an interview with sports illustrated um i believe this is part of from this interview mm-hmm. um where again they're talking about they start throwing out terms like alkaline and acidity and all this stuff and just stuff that pe- the everyday person who's dropping two hundred dollars on a uh, nutrition manual should not really be concerned about yeah um there so and then some more backlash was this was back um this was actually earlier this year a PhD, um, so Mike, uh, Mike Roussel has a PhD in nutrition and, uh, had a, basically a column reacting to Tom Brady's, this is before the cookbook came out, that's what oh, I'm going to call okay. it. Okay. Um, he was just kind of writing generally about his diet, this was back in January, and, um, he said he was embarrassed to read about his diet, it's full of buzzwords, not science. Um, again, he reiterates that he, that Brady does not eat fruit, um, and then he basically concludes that his diet's effective because it's low in added sugar, high in vegetables, and moderate in lean proteins, or in other words, for the reason any diet would work. Right. Um, so, yeah.
3: Including the my plate, which, which is, is
1: similar. Exactly. Or a Mediterranean <laughs> diet or right, something. Exactly. You know, anything that doesn't so, restrict yourself, that doesn't cost $200 to buy. Again, thing- this is, and Tom Brady, let's not forget, he's a billionaire. He's married yeah. to a billionaire. Yeah. He, his full-time job is to play football and get in shape. Yeah. This is what he does. Right, right. You're not going to get this cookbook. And become Tom Brady.
3: Yeah, although that'd be nice, but but yeah, but I think the thing that's sort of interesting about this is it's it is misguided in a lot of ways. Clearly, it, he doesn't have a, a solid source um, for his nutrition information, and you can imagine he, you know, it's so hard because it seems for a lot of people it seems to make sense, and then it but it actually isn't based in anything. But it is interesting that like probably one of the biggest figure figures in football history ever has come out with a diet essentially a diet nutrition book i mean it's so interesting because you think of football as being this like i mean and i'm talking so general because i'm so outside of anything related to football but you think of it as being like everybody's getting together and eating wings and drinking beer and it's just an inherently unhealthy pastime that's associated with unhealthy behaviors so it's really interesting to see like it's an unhealthy sport right well that that too but to see a leader sort of in within football who's very much I guess you could say like a man's man coming out with something that's like a nutrition based book and the the hopefully right the bright side of this would be that people who otherwise really wouldn't be either exposed to the idea of of good nutrition or or interested in it or think that it's something that fits with their sort of point of view maybe like would be interested in it i don't know that could be like a potential Good effect, I mean, or, I or think is it that's just going to make? the ev-
1: that people try to point out right. and try to stretch for every time also, something happens. Also, I love the
3: idea that like Tom Brady ever cooked something. Oh
1: yeah, so like yeah, <laughs> his favorite and the people make fun of this all the time since <laughs> that Sports Illustrated article came out a couple of years ago. But so his favorite recipe from his cookbook is avocado ice cream. If you really want avocado ice cream, here's a hint: don't drop two hundred dollars. Google avocado ice cream, and you'll have fifteen well, right. recipes.
3: Well, that's the other crazy thing about about cookbooks now is that you can find all, essentially every recipe online. A lot of times, cookbooks. I mean, because I, I love cookbooks, but I think primarily it's they have beautiful food photography and kind of the right. extras in them are what's like your, is your really, wood paneling. Yeah, the wood panel. I would definitely be like, oh, a wood panel cookbook? I'm down. But yeah, you can find everything on like allrecipes.com for free. So, <laughs>
1: yeah, well, th- but that's the thing. And like, yeah, generally it's like, oh, yeah. He may get people thinking about nutrition, but if he's getting people thinking about oh, here's reasons why I can justify not eating particular vegetables or whatever, right? Um, and I, this nonsense about inflammation and stuff, and right. you know he, he claims that you can it's gonna it's a step closer to achieving your so-called peak performance. But a lot oh. of people, again, these aren't if you're already serious about diet and nutrition, you're yeah. probably doing something that works for you. Right. Average person watching football every Sunday, right? Peak performance for what?
3: Like, I'm just confused about how he's getting enough food. I wonder. Like uh, it's hard for me to believe that he's really following that restricted of a diet only because I imagine he needs to eat so much.
1: Well, no, that's the, that's the other point. Oh. Is because he's a billionaire. Like he, well, yeah, right. he can. So somebody well,
3: is making him enough. He food. Has a, Yeah,
1: I'm, yeah, he has a personal chef. That that's another thing. He works right. with a chef to develop these. Right. I'm sure he's very involved. Does but, he
3: eat like potatoes and things? or what's, cause,
1: um, I can't remember like potatoes.
3: potatoes. or Because I'm just wondering like, because uh, in my mind I'm thinking yeah, it makes sense. Okay, he's he's on a this very restricted diet, but I think a lot of times when people go on diets like this, the side effect is that they lower the number of calories that they're eating and they subsequently lose weight and so people tend to say well, I I didn't hold on to all this extra weight when I was on this diet. I feel so much better. It must be the diet. When really it's well, actually, there was like a lot of stuff you couldn't eat, and now you're eating at a pretty significant calorie deficit, and right. seemingly "quote unquote" effortlessly, you're dropping this weight. And I'm just wondering, like, how or are you, you just, getting enough to eat? Or you
1: just keep going to Subway and just get it without tomatoes because Tom Brady told you not to.
3: Right, right, exactly. And that's the other thing is that someone's going to misinterpret it, and they're going to, or they're going to say it's so hard to, to eat a healthy diet. I'm not even going to try. Mm-hmm. That's po- that's a possible right. response.
1: Um, and the other thing that so. Again, going back to this idea of nutrition communication, like the silver lining, I remember this, I think this is kind of important that people need to call it. I know that we talked about this um, way back with Curtis, where, you know, when, once a new innovation comes out, people are always looking at flaws and ways to tear it down. Right. Um, so keeping that in mind, I, I don't think that some of these messages should just be distri- um, discounted outright, but I think you need to, again, see where people are coming from. Right. Because yeah, I remember he when so there was backlash against his diet initially, and then he called into a... Uh, major radio show here where he regularly is interviewed. I'm sure he's compensated for it. Um, and he kind of justified his diet. And everyone latched onto, like if you were on Facebook at that point, he made a comment about how things like soda and uh, breakfast cereals are, he called them, I believe he called them poison. Oh gosh. Um, which again was great. I, I Like people from Friedman were very excited about this and people were sending them articles and be like, look at this, Tom Brady is a spokesperson speaking out against soda and breakfast cereals, which is like, yeah, that's great. He's also his national spokesperson against tomatoes and fruit. Like, right? you know, you have to keep it this. much. If you're, you can't, you have to temper, I don't know, I guess, I think there's like too much bad with him and with this phenomenon to right. take with the good in this but case it, where it's like,
3: right. it's the balance. It's a question of, yeah. is it more good than bad? And in, in terms of, okay, you're promoting a lot of, of good things that are good, telling people to limit their soda consumption, especially to a group of people I think have probably haven't been really effectively targeted by mm-hmm. by good nutrition messages um, in terms of like you know the football watching public. It's like I have no idea what these people are like. I'm like oh the football people. It's Everyone <laughs> in America, Catherine. Um, but, but like they haven't been adequately targeted. But you know, but yeah, I agree that it if it comes with all of these kind of cra- less not science based um, recommendations, yeah, it, it's probably more bad than good. Mm-hmm. Um, Because people already know to limit sodas in theory, Um, but what's the new information? Well, it's like, well,
1: will it take? Well, then, and this is something we may be talking about in another five or ten minutes about soda and that messaging and who's saying what about it. What's really influencing people? Right. Um, And I mean, I will give him credit because that interview, uh, there were some unhappy (laughs) sponsors after that interview when he said that um, because again, I don't remember the full details, but uh, you know, there's a lot of advertising dollars in soda and other companies in football in football yeah Yeah. in the nfl but
3: so is there any reason like did they state any reason why the cookbook would be 200 dollars? like what's the added value of this cookbook
1: i think it's just a because it can because capitalism b because it's all fancy with the wood paneling and c because it's um because it is modifiable and you can update it and because like more stuff will be
3: so it's a binder so it's a three ring binder
1: Uh, yeah again
3: (laughs) i have a modifiable cookbook for you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a scrapbook that i made um that's pretty funny so so he's selling you a three ring binder but with wood paneling
1: so that's wood paneling cool. laser etched
3: a laser etched wood panelled yes. binder i'm down
1: that you can't even get right now
3: so so okay so he has a $200 cookbook and the the value is in theory that you can modify it mm-hmm. um i just i guess i'm wondering i'm wondering i'm really interested to see like what the market is going to be for this and then who's going to be going kind of on this on this diet It'll be just interesting to see kind of how this whole thing pans out. Um,
1: you I mean, mean it, the market in terms of demographic? or
3: Yeah, in terms going? of who's buying yeah. this book, you know, I don't know. Um, although, although, there are two, I mean, I don't know anything about these guys, but there are two, there are some guys that live in my apartment who um, who aren't, um nutrition people at all and it's funny because i've heard them like i think they're like coming home from the gym or something and i've heard them saying something like like talking to each other about like nutrition messaging and like in the hallway i live in a in a tiny apartment i sound like a total creep right now i'm like i can hear them talking about nutrition but they're walking the stairs and then they're talking to each other about like added sugars or whatever and you're just like well it's so interesting how messages get filtered Mm -hmm. down um basically we're just saying like added sugars aren't good for you um and uh, and so I was like, well, this was really interesting just to hear kind of how people translate like the nutrition messaging that they're yep. getting. So I mean, yeah, who knows now if it's going to be net good or net bad. But clearly, we can tell that the person who's who's co-writing this with Tom Brady is not is not particularly reputable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what his specific role is in this cookbook. I mean, how he helped him devise it. He, he's this guy Guerrero has been Brady's health guru forever and mm-hmm. uh, has some pretty scary yeah i mean there's been legal action taken against them and stuff so right. it's a little bit frightening and it also just goes back to like with the messaging where a couple of weeks ago i was um talking about graduation coming up with uh one of my co-workers and she's like oh yeah you can write a book one day i'm like maybe i could but it probably wouldn't be a bestseller because it's actually i wouldn't write any of it because we were well, in the diet section so i was like we were like shelving the the yeah. diet section and she's like oh yeah like she's like really what's what shouldn't i buy i was like any of these, right. like David Asprey, I think that's his name, has his bulletproof diet book. You have um, what Lara Propon's Papon, cookbook. You have right. Chrissy Teigen's book. Um, Although so well, her I, book is her I, book
3: a diet I, book, I think her book is a
1: cookbook. no. I think that yeah, they're something some things which um, looks great. Uh, there's all yeah. So I I, I think I found like a Mediterranean Diet for Dummies. I was like, okay, I buy this one. Like yeah. the, that'll that'll be,
3: right. It's, or, like, it's more reputable to than anything be, else in there. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, and green brain or I mean, wheat brain, whatever. Yeah,
3: no, those aren't those aren't as good. <laughs> But anyway, but yeah. So um, so anyway, the long story short is maybe don't spend $200 $2 On this cookbook,
1: yeah. And um,
3: feel free to buy the uh, hashtag Unbalanced Breakfast Official Cookbook. is a three ring binder. We are happy to provide you for <laughs> yeah, a mere <beer> one hundred and fifty dollars.
1: <laughs> Very much more affordable,
3: and you can print out your own Pay own off recipes. those loans somehow, those, you know. So yeah, we're gonna have a cookbook. Ultimately, modifiable.
1: <laughs> All right. So um, well, that was fun. I wanted. To, I was happy to get that off my chest. <laughs> so again if you want to call in uh, talk about Tom Brady yell at me for calling the cheater or anything else like that um, number here is 617-627-3800 we are going to take a song break and hopefully be back with Nussle. Nussel um, going to go ahead and play the new one from Radiohead um, it's like a weird if you've seen the video it's like a weird Wicker Man thing and Radiohead was all weird when the song came out because they always are um, but anyway here it is, it's called Burn the Witch off their upcoming album A Moon Shaped Pool you're listening to An Unbalanced Breakfast On WMFO 91.5 FM, also streaming live on WMFO.org. All right, welcome back to WMFO. Yes. This is An Unbalanced Breakfast. Yes. And you're listening to WMFO on 91.5 FM, streaming live on WMFO.org. You just heard price tag from Slater Kenny, which was Catherine's choice.
3: Yeah, which sounded like a Matt choice, right? <laughs> I know. Oh, there's, like, alternative. i tell like you, as that. Getting into the right
1: genres now. <laughs> um, we had a couple PSAs before that. We kicked off that little break or that extended break with Radiohead and their new single, Burn the Witch. Um, and a couple hiccups, but now we are ready to go. Yes. Now on the line, we have Marion Nessel, and I'm going to throw it over to Catherine.
3: So most of our listeners at Friedman Friedmanites are, are very familiar with Marion Nessel and her body of work, but for anybody else who's listening in, um, she's the Paulette Goddard Professor at the Department of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at New York University. Um, and then she's had a number of positions throughout policy. She has her PhD in molecular biology, um, and she also um, wrote the book Food Politics which I think a lot of us have have read for you know, undergrad or graduate classes and recently this fall came out with a book and has written numerous books uh, has the blog Food Politics um, and has recently come out with the book Soda Politics which is going to be a little bit of what we're talking about today so how are you doing today, Marion? Uh, very well, thank you. Um, so we just wanted to talk with you about a couple a uh, couple different things, um, one of which is, of course, your book, which we read and enjoyed. Um, but the first one is something that we've covered on our radio show before, which was the story that came out recently about Disney wanting to pull a scientific study before it was published in a journal. Um, and so if our listeners remember, Disney uh, had, co- had funded a study that was done on food choices, kids' food choices in the Disney theme parks to see if replacing um, the foods, the sort of unhealthy side options with healthy side options would change the way that um, parents and children ordered the food. But Disney, before the study was released, Disney um, asked that the study not be released. Um, And initially, at least Stat News reported that that was because Disney was concerned about the association with the lead uh, researcher on that study who had been part of the Global Energy Balance Network, which, uh, as many of us know, had been funded by Coca-Cola and so had been sort of dismantled um, because it was thought that that was a scientific organization that was Primarily funded in order to find scientific findings that would benefit the the soda companies, um, but but Marion, you wrote a letter into the journal, isn't that correct?
2: No, no I you... was. This is one of those great moments in publishing that you wish had never happened. Really, the editor the editor of the journal asked me to write a commentary uh, on the Disney paper, mm-hmm. and I did so. Uh, and commented on the fact that this was a typical industry funded study that produced results that were favorable to the sponsor's interest, and that there were real problems with the study because Disney had not given, had not permitted the authors to discuss proprietary information about baseline data and other kinds of. Data that would allow you to know whether there was any real change in what kids were eating in these meals at Disney. And the editors chose not to publish Mm -hmm. my commentary with the... um, Oh, it was even worse than that, because then they gave the commentary to the authors to allow them to respond to mm-hmm. respond mm-hmm. and then I had another response and all of that was supposed to be published uh, side by side with the paper mm-hmm. but they left all of that out in the actual publication right. and the the editor Brian Wensing in his first comment to me said well Disney had held up its review of the paper for so long that by the time it all came about there wasn't any room to publish this. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I said are you, are you telling me that Disney... Uh, saw my commentary and had input into my commentary, and he Mm. said, no. That wasn't true. They had just run out of room. I don't know what happened. Right. Um, But the correspondence is going to be published in the next issue of the journal in June, I'm told.
3: And the problem, I guess, is that if Disney can't release the baseline data, then no one is able to sort of rerun those analyses and make sure that they were correct in the future.
2: Yeah, it's not not possible to repeat it. Right. Um, And the author authors who were heavily involved in the Global Energy Balance Network fiasco um, are, as far as I can tell, completely unrepentant about their participation in that. And they, in their rebuttal to my commentary, they argued that industry funding of research is fine and doesn't influence outcome. Um, And we have a disagreement on that point.
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess the question—I I think the question that they were—they were, they were asking—is if they make healthier choices, the default choices within the Disney parks, is it—it it, does it substantially change the number of calories and the amount of fat, um, for example, that that children are consuming? Um, and so, well, how, and so would, how would you—how would you know that if you didn't know what else the kids were eating during the day? Right, right. You mean at the park or or just in general? Or anywhere. Right. Anywhere.
2: Right. I mean, this is one meal in um, a child's diet, mm-hmm. and I'm greatly for health, you know, in favor of healthier defaults. hmm uh, I think that's a really, really good idea.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But to prove that it does any good, you don't even know how many meals were chosen, right. or whether, it, whether the change had any influence on the number of meals that were consumed, because that's proprietary information. And the authors, the authors told me that they had seen that information, but that they were not permitted to use it.
3: Right. And that's a really good point because the, because before you can say, so before you could say make a policy that um, public that restaurants need to have those healthy defaults, you need to, you know, you want to prove that it works and that it's going to be um, effective, but you also, you need to do it in a way where it's it's very clear, like what was the baseline data? What was the change from beginning to end? And if you can't do that, then what is the, what is the, what is, the perp- what is the study serving other than the interests of you know, Disney to say, look, we've made this change. But the, it, what's problematic is that you actually, not only can you not really show that that's the change that, that was made, but you, know, you, can't, you can't show whether or not it's effective outside of that. Um, and so then it makes it less applicable.
2: Um, absolutely. Um, and the, so that's why it read to me like a typical industry-funded study, and it was clear um, from the from all of the discussion and the emails that later came out, that Disney was just totally involved in the development, the conduct, and the results of these of this study, mm-hmm. and I think that's inappropriate.
3: And I think I know that, and that's sort of how Stat reported on it was that Disney as a company wasn't as used to sort of the normal constructs that are set up between say a company and a university when a when a study is sponsored to show you know r- no matter what the results are they get to publish you get to publish that what you found and i think that that it the the reporting that i saw seemed to suggest that disney because they don't typically do this type of research or haven't done this research in the past was not was not fully aware of that i guess well, know. let's let's say
2: Disney was innocent of this, but the investigators were not. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. investigators have done science for a long time, mm-hmm. and they know how science is supposed to be done. And you don't let your funder tell you how to conduct a study,
3: right? And that sort of so that sort of um, goes into ties into your book, Soda Politics, and also the Global Energy Balance Network, where um Anahan O'Connor at the New York Times had that. Um, sort of amazing piece uh, last year in 2015, where, you know, it was revealed that um, the major funder for this, the Global Energy Balance Network, was a soda company. And so, you know, problematically, that's going to that's going to influence, it might not influence, right, the methodology of the study or how well the study's conducted, but it's certainly going to um, influence the hypothesis or the research question, which is problematic because, of course, you know, we know, and I know that you state in the beginning of your book, if you have a seven-ounce soda, that's not, you know, every once in a while. That's not what the problem is, right? The problem is when people are over-consuming sodas, like we see in the U.S. and in other developed countries. Um, and so, we just wanted to talk a little bit about the book. So, do you want to? Do you want to just give it a brief introduction?
2: Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, it's a it's an extension of the work that I've done. Uh, over the last 10 or 15 years. And what I wanted to do was to write a book about food advocacy uh, because I'm teaching food politics policy and food advocacy it's clear that there's a book needed that explains to people how you go about doing advocacy. In a sense, Soda Politics is an advocacy manual uh, using sodas as, ex- as an example. And I titled the book uh, Soda Politics Taking on Big Soda and Winning because soda sales are way down. The soda mm-hmm. industry thinks that sales are down because of health advocacy. I'm certainly not going to disagree with them on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that health advocates have done a phenomenal job
0: mm-hmm.
2: of making it clear that large amounts of sugary drinks are really bad for your health. Uh, small amounts, fine. Large amounts, no. Right. And the, um, and I thought it was time to do a book about the soda industry, which has been vastly written about. I mean, they're just extraordinary industries. So when I mean, we're, we're talking about Coca-Cola and PepsiCo, mm-hmm. because they're the major players in it, uh, and they 're just involved in every aspect of the political scene. They do everything they possibly can to create a <clears throat> food environment that allows that enables people to drink sodas that have that that make people think that you can substitute sugary beverages for water and have completely ingrained mm-hmm. sugary beverages into Our food culture, and that's astonishing to talk about. Um, And then the way that they protect their, uh, their sales by lobbying, by, uh, donations to organizations, the Global Energy Balance Network came out after the book was in press, mm-hmm. but I thought the book was very, very nice preparation for understanding how that could happen. In right. and, uh, and my experience, when that article came out, I probably talked to about 30 reporters in the week after it came oh, out, wow. and I can tell you they were shocked. Mm -hmm. They were absolutely shocked if they had read my book, which they couldn't have because it hadn't come out yet, they wouldn't have been so shocked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, be- don't, think it's all there. Right. you don't think about that, right? Think about it. Um, but people were astounded in to read that article. They had no idea mm-hmm. that soda companies would fund research like that, that investigators would accept funding from Coca Cola, and that universities would allow faculty to take money from food companies that way. Which I think shows. You know how little reporters understand about how universities work, but that's a separate
3: issue. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, though, if it kind of takes advantage of a couple different things, one of which is that, yeah, re- reporters maybe don't understand how a lot of science is funded, but also that there's an inherent uh, disconnect between scientific studies and the findings of scientific studies and then the way that those studies are reported in the media. So, because I know that, for instance, obviously at our school, people do have um, research partially or fully funded by uh, particular food interests, um, and that's something where where there's a very specific there's a hypothesis that for whatever reason is not of interest to say the NIH, and so it's funded by someone who's interested in well, you know what happened, you know are almonds good for X, Y, and Z, um, and if the you know if the methodology is solid, then you're finding a valid research result. The problem is, of course, that. The, that the research question can is, is very much is usually right in favor of any particular funder. So the problem is that you're not then looking at, but is it bad for this or is it bad for that? And so it, it kind of can create an imbalance. And then that gets further sort of distorted when it's reported, right? That like, oh, you can have this number of calories from added sugars a day and it's fine type of thing.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a complicated issue. There's an enormous amount of research. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the topic of my next book. Mm-hmm. But there's an, an enormous amount of research in the, let's say, medical drug and medical device industries
0: mm-hmm.
2: that demonstrates that gifts from companies influence the outcome
0: mm-hmm.
2: of research and practice. and mm-hmm. there, and, and that the recipients... Of the donations are unaware of the influence that those donations have on what they're doing. So you're dealing with something that's completely obscure. People don't recognize mm-hmm. it. And if you talk to people who receive money from industry, they get furious. At any suggestion, they just go ballistic, at any suggestion that that funding might influence the way they're designing, conducting, or interpreting the research. Mm -hmm. But the research on industry funding indicates without question Mm -hmm. that the funding influences the research question, not the way it's conducted... Not uh, that always seems to be or that often seems to be done just fine, mm-hmm. but it influences the the way the research question is developed and also the interpretation of the results so there's a positive spin put on the results uh, even when the results are negative right. or, or or neutral right. and there's just so much research that shows that in other fields, and to think that food and nutrition research is different from that, I think is um, Remains to be determined, but the early signs of research on nutrition and food research is that it's just like all the others.
3: Right, and I wonder too if, if sort of the general effect size of a nutrition study has any sort of effect on that. Because like you said, you know, the, you, you put a positive spin on it. And a lot of that has to do with publication bias where it's really so important to have to have some significant result right. in order to get attention to the study. But I think what I'd love to chat, chat a, l- a little bit about sort of um, some of the major themes around what you were talking about before with the, the major soda companies being able to lobby and affect policy. Um, and so you, you have this really interesting breakdown in the book about the history of um, EBT and the SNAP program and how initially soda wasn't going to be included right and as something you could buy with SNAP dollars i was recently at a conference and someone from CSPI was there and he was talking about how getting um, you know soda's taken as taken off of something that's you can buy with food stamps was a sort of a major issue for them now i've always i had always been of the opinion that you know if you you know if you have food stamps, that's your, you know, it's like within your decision, right? Like that's your money to buy groceries and you should be able, able to do that. But then you brought up this really interesting point in the book that that was not always, that was not always the intention of food stamps and that initially you were not going to be able to have soda on food stamps. Is that, is that correct? Am I getting that correct?
2: Yes, and it didn't last very long. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was a congressional hearing about it and Congress said, no, we're going to include it under enormous lobbying from the soda industry. I mean, the the in looking at the history of Coca-Cola and PepsiCo, they 're very proud of the lobbying that they 've done over the decades, and whenever anything came up that was likely to have an effect on sales, they were in there, you know they were right in Congress. I counted up the number of lobbyists that are registered for Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, mm. and American Beverage Association, and there are they have 97 lobbyists in Washington.
3: 97! Mm-hmm. Right.
2: So, I mean, any advocacy group that's trying to uh, get something done might have one or two people lobbying, but not 97.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: when you look at what the soda industry is doing about the soda tax battles all over the country, they're pouring millions of dollars into fighting those efforts. So on the one hand, they want to appear as, a, as companies that are genuinely interested in public health, and on the other hand, they're fighting public health measures wherever they can. I came away from my research on the book thinking that they're schizophrenic companies, <laughs> Dr. Je- Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, mm-hmm. where the front office people really care about public health, are quite genuine about it, Um, You know, are very proud of the fact that they're selling bottled water and small cans uh, of, of the sodas, and yet their marketing people are hard at work doing everything they can to undermine public health initiatives.
3: Right. Complicated, and that goes into sort of what you had had talked about also in the book, where you talk about um, soda companies and their use of corporate social responsibility to sort of infiltrate areas where where sodas maybe wouldn't be. So you have sodas sponsoring, you know, kids' sports teams, or sodas sponsoring um, school initiatives, or you know, the American Academy of Family Physicians or the Ameri- you know Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, which both of those groups I think have divested from soda companies now. They have. Um, yes, actually.
2: That's very funny because Coca-Cola claims that it um, did the divorce first,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and the uh, and the organization say no, no, no. We had already decided that we were pulling out. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one of them is right, um, but the American Academy of Pediatrics, Family Practice, and Dietetics are no longer accepting money from Coca-Cola.
3: Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of it's sort of it is interesting, like what What do you think about um so so sodas incorporate themselves into schools, into community organizations, into major advocacy organizations, and so those people are kind of tied up, and they there are certain things that they can and can't say. Um I worked for a local organization that I won't. Name And they had a a nutrition curriculum that had been, you know, paid for and sponsored by Coca-Cola. So it was just, I mean, you were reading this. I mean, it was a nutrition curriculum. And it was just hilarious how the complete absence of any mention of um, sodas or sugar-sweetened beverages. Yeah, Uh, they buy buy silence. Right. And I think it said something like, you know, choose diet soda. But that was it. That was the only time it's mentioned in the entire thing. Um, And so... Yeah, I mean, I... In the
2: book, I talk extensively about I give extensive examples of groups that had intended to engage in anti-soda campaigns mm-hmm. and then dropped those campaigns mm-hmm. when a, when an, um, a very generous gift suddenly arrived.
3: Right, and you talk about how those those corporate social responsibility, that that's not tied to necessarily entirely goodwill, that Coca-Cola and Pepsi, they know that their profits are going to improve when they, when they take these types of measures. And that's why they're doing it. Well, they wouldn't do it otherwise. They're not social
2: service agencies.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: They're
2: publicly traded corporations that follow the rules of publicly traded corporations. And those rules are very simple. You maximize profits to shareholders. Right, Everything that you do has to be aimed at maximizing profits to shareholders or the shareholders get cross.
3: Right. And so what do you think about, so obviously with soda, something that we know is not nutritious and tobacco, something we know is actively very unhealthy, you know, those corporate corporate social responsibility with them, we can see the downsides. But what would you say about, say, for instance, I'm thinking of like a sports equipment company or or a, a sneaker company like Converse or New Balance, you know, sponsoring sports teams? Is it is it different if it's a quote unquote, yeah, you know, they're healthier? Not, they're not public; they're not involved in public health. But but I guess I but suppose. That, but, but that's just
2: there. That there, the profit motive is explicit, right? And isn't
3: covered over, right? By so they're not working some... against themselves almost.
2: Yeah, I mean, you don't have, it's all, on the, it's all on the same side, and it's absolutely open and explicit, mm-hmm. but when a food company is trying to sell a food product that is, well, I mean, it's very hard, the thing about sodas that makes them, that distinguishes them from any other food product is their is calories with no nutrients. Mm-hmm. they're empty calories right. they have no nutritional value whatsoever so it's completely unambiguous i mean that's one of the reasons for picking on and they're an easy they're an easy target right low hanging fruit mm-hmm. they're the first thing you do if you want to advise somebody to lose weight you say stop drinking sugary drinks it's remarkably effective right. weight loss strategy yeah um So, and it's simple because
3: it's sugars and water and nothing else. Mm -hmm. Everything else is more complicated. Right, right. And also I think something that you point out is that the way that soda is marketed is that, you know, we don't talk about it as being candy or a dessert, which are, would be two probably more appropriate ways to think about it. We think of it as you're eating a meal and it's a beverage that you have with a meal or it's something that you have after you've worked out. Which is not, or
2: you have it, or you have it for pleasure, right? Um, you know, whereas Center for Science and the Public Interest called it liquid candy,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know, some years ago, decade, more than a decade ago, and and if we reframed thinking about sugary beverages as liquid candy, mm-hmm. we would have a very different attitude toward them. I think,
3: yeah. So, do you think that's um, similar? Like, maybe soda should take a, a tax? Sort of. I don't know if you heard about that that um, tomato sauce company that sort of openly came out and said something like, well, you should really only, because it had such a high sugar, uh, sugar content, it said, well, you should really only be having this about once a week. Do you think it would be responsible well, that, for Coca-Cola to come out and say something like that? Well,
2: that... When I was I was in Australia and New Zealand for a couple of months this winter, mm-hmm. and um, and there was a lot of talk about Coca Cola there um, because I was giving a lot of talks about soda politics, and some mm-hmm. reporter uh, made a big fuss about trying to get Coca Cola to be transparent in Australia. And the result of all the exposure of the organizations that Coca Cola was funding in Australia was that the head of Coca Cola Amatil, which is the Australian New Zealand um, corporation that sells Coca-cola. Uh, what went on record is saying I didn't know I don't know what all the fuss is about. she said, if you have one can a week, it's not a problem. Mm. Yeah, And
3: I couldn't agree with her more. Right, right. But that's not their public message, yeah. It's um, not the public message. Right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the yeah, show to Actually, be I have a, just a quick oh.
1: question. When I'm still here yeah, to, uh, yeah. <laughs> before we let you go. So, um, first of all, I thought it was really interesting that you brought up that originally um, about with the lobbying and the food stamps with soda. We've had a lot of conversations here at Friedman and some of my class, especially social justice-based ones, about whether or not you should be allowed to purchase soda with food stamps and uh, that yeah, it's never
0: complicated issue.
1: Yeah, never, that never actually came up about how it originally got there through lobbying. So I think that if people yeah. were more cognizant of that, it would, could have helped change the uh, the conversation. Yeah,
3: I was really surprised about that as well.
1: And I also had a quick, just a quick question to wrap up is um, so we, met, we were talking about Tom Brady earlier in the show, how he has some good things like he says you shouldn't drink soda, but he also has things like you shouldn't eat tomatoes. Um, you've posted about Warren Buffett um, saying that Coca-Cola is great and it's helping him live long and um, and then on the other hand, you have people like John Oliver, who um, just recently came out with a thing about um, how scientific studies are interpreted by the media. And do you think that um, we're in an era where a lot of people are just going to get their nutrition information from figures like this? And are you concerned that a lot of the um, legitimate science, well, two things, one, that the science is going to be lost, the real hard true science, and then the other thing is that it's going to turn more into a collection of sound bites as opposed to um, actually affecting lifestyles? Hmm.
2: Well, that's our public um, area right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read in the New York Times this week that Facebook is the single most important source of news mm-hmm. for most Americans. You know, for people like me who are dinosaurs and still read the New York Times, this is kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the where for those of us who are nutritionists and really care about nutrition science, Uh, We need to do something to raise the credibility of what we're doing. And one of the reasons I'm so concerned about food industry sponsorship of food and nutrition research is that I believe it destroys the credibility of that research and makes the public not trust nutritionists.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, The Global Energy Balance Network was a scandal. That, that, That was a scandal that did not make nutrition scientists look good. And so the profession has to uh, do something about setting up criteria uh, and ethical standards that will help restore the public trust mm-hmm. in the kinds of statements that we're making. So at
3: least uh, we'll have some credibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely... Not check- easy. Oh. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. I'm, well, and it just it feeds so much into... To funding that's avail- currently available for science and the funding that's you know sort of in the the public interest of the NIH and the you know the wider sort of public health sphere. Um, but thank you so so much for coming on the show today, Marian. Thank you. Definitely check out the book Food Politics or Food Politics is your book and uh, Soda Politics, the newer book, um, and also of course your blog Food Politics.
1: Thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So. That was our interview with Mary Nessel. Yeah. Very awesome Very to have exciting. her on. Very yeah. exciting. So yeah, d- and definitely check out, again, like Catherine mentioned, her books and her blog. Stay on top of all of this, everything going on in the media. Right, in the and she space. has kind
3: of a running list of studies that come out and who's funding them. And, you know, it's definitely a complex issue. I think at Tufts we sort of talk about this a lot, and I think there are a lot of different opinions on this um, issue. So it definitely makes sense to, to stay abreast of everything that's going on.
1: Mm-hmm. And that um that basically brings us to the end of the show. Yes. We will uh, at some point hopefully talk about the Biggest Loser maybe next week. Yes, which everyone, the Biggest
3: Loser. Everybody, go ahead and read that article. It is on the New York Times, but yes. you probably also saw it on Facebook.
1: And um, um you better you need to tune in because next week is Catherine's uh, final show ever it is, here. It
3: is my last show, so it'll it'll just be Matt. Well, and, and some other call. Well, the the few, <laughs> Yeah, the future of the show
1: is like, to be determined. We will be yeah. somewhere.
3: But also, if you are a Friedman student and you would like to share your Freedman experience on the air next week, that's it's you know it's the day before graduation, so we're really looking for some people who are interested in kind of talking about what their Friedman experience was like and what they've learned. Uh, and so, definitely contact uh, me or Matt yep. if you are interested.
1: Definitely, you can check us out on Facebook, Unbalanced Breakfast Radio, mm-hmm. or on SoundCloud, Unbalanced Breakfast. Um, that does it for us stay tuned for Mike on the mic and we will be back next week have a good weekend bye